how, what are you recording on? Are you using this new Skype feature? Or are you? Oh, fuck no. I'm not using Skype. No. I, I, if, yeah, I mean, I'm using uh, Hindenburg. So I've had it for years. Shout out to uh, the Postal Poet. Um, ladies and gentlemen, today I'm joined by my good friend and yak farmer, Nick Hazelton. Uh, hey. We might talk about farming, but I think it gets boring for the two of us. <laughs> yeah, it's, it does. <laughs> it's just boring. I'm doing that show at John Dowie now. That's fun because we just talk about microgreens specifically. Like, I oh, think cool. I think we could get into, um, yeah, and he's like doing that because, you know, Spearco's got that new show that he's doing with, uh, I don't know what the fuck it's called. I haven't listened to Jack in a while. Not, nothing against Jack. I just, it was just like, ah, I'm good. Like, it, I yeah. mean, like, it's not bad to tune in. I, I think he has good content, no, but, but like. But we kind of understand the point of it, right? Yeah. Like, he, like I, I like Jack and the uh, and that content i think the survival podcast is yeah excellent in many ways but i'm uh, just at this point for the format yeah i touch in every once in a while yeah uh, i was listening to some of those miyagi mornings he was doing that show that was kind of fun because he just rambles and he's not interrupted by um ads in the beginning or anything yeah he's but, um, he's got uh he's like because those are all like pre-recorded but i because I, yeah. I met I, I mean i i hung out with jack in uh san diego like I've had him on the show, but then I met, hung out with him at Permaculture Voices. He's a good dude. I mean, like he'll buy you drinks, and he likes to talk, and he likes to troll. He's like pretty funny about that stuff. Um, but yeah, I guess he's doing some late night, later show. Well, it's like it starts at like four or something. It's live on YouTube with some lady who I don't know, and Dowie is now like becoming a regular, and they'll have like Curtis Stone on and stuff like that too. Um, but he plugged the show, but yeah, I was just, uh, I don't know. The last time I saw Nick, we usually, when Nick and I talk, we're usually just bitching about things (laughs) in in society. (laughs) So a lot of people don't know about let's go Brandon and where this meme has come from. So I figure I'm just going to play the clip for everyone so they can hear let's go Brandon. Cause you, you, have you heard let's go Brandon? No, you just showed it to me just okay. a little bit before the show, and I don't, I don't know the context, so you give it. Okay, me. so at Talladega, so there's this phenomenon about fuck Joe Biden, and it's going on because you know the president that got the most votes in the history of the United States, of course, everybody's going to love him, right? Like they, he's going to unite the nation, and he's uniting the nation, but it seems to be in a in a different way because every stadium. It's they're going in and it's, uh, you know, fuck Joe Biden, every college football game, most NFL games now. And of course, at NASCAR, because like NASCAR fans are clearly Trump supporters. You know what I mean? Uh, I mean, for the most I mean, you can not all of them like you don't you, I don't want to <laughs> sure. put everyone in a box. But like in general, most of them yeah, supported it's, it's Trump. Probably a good guess. <laughs> yeah. So Talladega just happened, which is one of the biggest uh nascar races and this dude brandon won so this is nbc's coverage just to show how great the mainstream media is and how they've been spinning shit for a long time and nathan frazier our good buddy like he 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 posted something on facebook the other day which was so many people are, are waking up to the fact that you know they're being lied to which is why the media is turning up propaganda so this is 
This is uh, this happened right after the race. So here's the clip. Thank you to all of our partners. Oh my God, it's just such an unbelievable moment. Brandon, you also told me, as you can hear the chants from the the crowd. Let's go, Brandon. Brandon, you told me you were gonna kind of hang back those first. I don't know where she hears "Let's go, Brandon," but here we go. Let's keep listening. Two stages and just watch and learn. What did you learn that helped you there in those closing laps? Oh my God, it was uh, learning how each line didn't uh, stay to one, and everything shifted top to bottom so much. Thank you to all. I mean, that's clearly fuck Joe Biden. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, let's crazy. go it's brandon sort of <laughs> listen to him <laughs> you can hear him yeah i feel like that's such that'd be a great way if she was like allowing that to go on air just you know just to say that just to let it to go on air yeah I, I, i'd love that i i don't i mean i don't really know i think it's it's just the uh i mean there's so many it's like there's even a wikipedia page of it but uh you know, Nick, what do we want to talk about today? Because we decided we just wanted to do a podcast because we both are looking to get started. And we tried doing one back in February, but both of us are just so rusty and it, it just it just wasn't good. So, we, <laughs> yeah, we were complaining too much, I think. And and um, I don't know. We figured out a lot of stuff. We, we went to the Michigan Peace and Liberty Fest um, together. That was fun. And uh, I don't know. I think I I, I think that I've. I haven't been doing podcasts in a while at all, but uh, I've been like slowly refining, like, what do I want to talk about at all? And um, yeah, when I was editing that, that last one, I was like, it's a good show. I think we did a good job, but um, it was just so uh, bitchy. <laughs> so yeah, I, mean, I don't want to just, wanna just really be, use it. Yeah, I don't want to be I just negative. Didn't think that was a great influence for people or I'm like, yeah, it's because like everybody's doing this, right? Everybody's complaining because it's it's COVID where we were locked down, we'd lost some business and, and we weren't able to talk to as many people as we'd like. And everybody's going through that. So I think it makes sense like to explain for, as a business, as a businessman, like, why does this affect me? Um, but honestly, it, it didn't, didn't hurt me that bad. Like all of the things that damaged my business in 2020 were because of me. Yeah. Um, it wasn't, <laughs> wasn't the fault of the government or quarantine. Um, it was because I didn't make the right decisions, but this year I'm picking stuff up and, and it's going a lot better. So Same. I think there was a big, a big difference between where I was in February and where I am now. Um, just on the sense that I'm selling more yak meat. Um, cause I think I was out then. I think I was totally plumb out for like a year when I had talked to you. And so it was like, definitely felt like, a. uh, it was definitely something that was like weighing on me. Like, Oh damn, I need to get back into business. And now I have. So I'm yeah. happier and I'm ready to talk about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm I I need to I've been putting beef on the back burner. And I wanted to talk to you because you and I did talk a lot about beef. Um and because it's I mean it's similar. But I had I, I had some ideas of just like because I don't know how to pro like I don't know strategies with processing. So I have I actually and I fucked up this uh this year because I mean, dude, I got the, you know, I got the, the physical control, um, so I can't drive until November. I don't have a vehicle. Um, the plan was to try to get a truck and all this stuff with PPP money, but then it was just like I needed the money to stay in business and uh, pay my bills. Uh, and then I wrecked my truck, and 
It's a whole thing. I have a cow, and then I had two slots open in Michigan at that USDA slot, but they're not very good at cutting steaks. Like, they're meat cutters. They, I mean, they, they, they struggle with that. They have constant. I mean, they're constantly booked. It's USDA. So then I was just thinking, well, I should probably just use them for ground and, like, just take whole cows and just turn them into ground because that's what I sell the most of anyway. Ground and steaks. Their steaks weren't good. I got awful reviews. Uh, people complained about the steaks. I think it damaged my credibility with customers. Um, and, you know, there's, there, that's just things that you don't think about when you're going into a new venture, especially if you're traditionally selling vegetables um, to where you can process them, to selling meat where you have to take it to like a state certified or USDA certified processor. Yeah, that's a that's actually one of the most interesting things to think about that business is kind of that those weird regulations where it does um it, that that's kind of the strategy I take. So I t- if I take an animal to a USDA place, it's almost all going into ground uh yak cuz it's that's what I sell the most of and um it's not the cheapest cut, but it's the most versatile. Um it's like my it's and above awful, I think roasts are um more expensive for me or, or less expensive sorry um than the burger but um short ribs are on our on my pricing but i'm taking yeah, like and that makes sense yeah but people love i mean like yeah short yeah. people love ribs and i haven't yeah, sold you cook them right they're awesome i haven't sold many ribs at all and i think that is probably because they're lean but like it doesn't take nearly as long to cook as like pork ribs um, yeah seriously oh man uh short ribs are the best I, I just really love that, um, especially on the yak. And yak is super lean, so yeah. you just gotta you just gotta cook it longer, and it you know the tendons melt and stuff. It's and use the bones as soup later. It's I yeah, short ribs are really cool, and I I uh, I usually don't even sell them because I eat all of them. Really? <laughs> yeah. Um, so but what? Yeah. So I I think that strategy that you're thinking of is the right thing to do um, to focus on get those cuts that you can sell and. And it is something there where like the like you said about the steak people, you lose losing those customers is not really fun. At least for me, I know that those people buying steak are serious because I, I charge a pretty high premium for the yak steak. Yeah. Um, and they but they really got to enjoy it. And some of those steaks I have aren't the best cuts um, just because of the butchers I used. Uh, and, and every once in a while I get a complaint, but I try to stick with the people that do it best. Um, yeah. And, and I have one custom slaughter guy that will do that just they just do an awesome job of cutting those steaks and it seems like everybody else will just make a mistake every once in a while and those usda people um yeah i just wouldn't i just wouldn't trust them with that kind of cutting and it's unfortunate that 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 um those laws are there because you know what you and i both know that we could probably get a much better product out of these just state inspected guys um well, so but these USDA guys have this weird, like it's not, it's like a quasi monopoly. It's not quite because there's like five in every state or whatever, or maybe not every. There's there's like four or five in Oregon, and it's a pretty big state. Um, but you can take they, it. Uh, so they, the nice thing is, is you can take your animals to another state for USDA and sell anywhere versus state inspection. Like for Ohio, um, I think. Oh, I need to really refresh on the Ohio laws. I didn't, sorry for interrupting you, but it's. That I think it's like ours is regulated by county, from my understanding. So like my my cow is technically farmed in Mansfield, which is a separate county than Franklin County. So I don't have as strict regulations with the way I sell it. Uh-huh. 
See, so, that's cool. You got, you got an older state that probably is why. Yeah. yeah, I mean, our stuff's more more decentralized here. I mean, there's other. I mean, like for the longest time, you weren't supposed to be able to eat cornflakes. It was illegal to eat cornflakes on Sundays <laughs> because uh, I guess apparently Kellogg didn't believe. Like apparently, the guy who started Kellogg's. This could be bullshit. Like I, I need to look into it. But the I I do remember the old law, and this is kind of pre-internet. But from my understanding, Kellogg was. A guy who didn't believe in reproducing or reproduction. Um, and so he adopted a bunch of children. So people thought that by eating cornflakes, it would make you not want to procreate. And so Sundays, I guess, was apparently the day when most people procreated or had sex <laughs> to have children. So they said no, no Kellogg's cornflakes on Sundays in Ohio. Yeah. I, I just looked this up on Google. Just Kellogg didn't believe in reproduction, and a couple things pop up where it's like, yeah, uh, cornflakes were a part of an anti-masturbation crusade. That's different. But um, <laughs> the DNA exchange, Kellogg was partial, particularly concerned that sex, including sex. Uh, oh, they didn't finish. Anyway, the, the rumor may have some legitimacy. Yeah, yeah, I think there's some legitimacy to it. I mean, That's this funny. is before the internet, so you know, I mean, our. <laughs> The people that make laws in our country now barely are educated on the subjects they're making laws for. Um, they're just trying to get votes. So, yeah. Um, wow, I just really just threw an anchor in the middle of our conversation. We have this no, really no, good flow. Good. <laughs> but so I, I, I definitely think you know I'm coming up. So the I got the microgreens business down. I my buddy uh, Hunter Mark came down. We just took some photos for art for the website so i should have now i just got to get my inventory taken which i should do this weekend which i have a ton of like soup bones beef beef liver i need to find like the the paleo uh keto crowd Mm -hmm. um yeah move that marrow yeah i think that's a good move i mean the people that are you know the carbophobes i think that's Mm -hmm. the way um should we make fun of carbophobes? You've been uh, <laughs> you've been wanting to make fun of some carbophobes, and I tell you what, I'm down to, oh, especially <laughs> since we have good friends that are carbophobes. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not up on my thing, but this is this is something I've been interested in because I follow all these all these libertarian guys in our spheres are into paleo and keto, and um, maybe it's because of the Joe Rogan connection. I think it was close, or maybe before that, but um, but they all pretend like it's not from Rogan. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. the best part. That's the best part of it is like, no, 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 no. It's not. No, no, it's not Rogan. And then you're like, you see him like all yeah, in. Yeah, it's Chris Kresser. Yeah, he's yeah. Been on Rogan. Yeah, he's been on Rogan a ton of times. And honestly, man, like for me, it's I've been. I'm gonna actually. Brett and I are gonna talk about diet. We went. We're gonna do a podcast cool. because Brett's been like experimenting with. Brett Vinat's been experimenting. Experimenting with like different macronutrients and how it makes him feel and uh i started doing the same thing like i just recently started eating more protein like just because i've been doing uh you know i've I've been working out like consistently for the last nine weeks or it was a little bit i started a little bit before but it was just like i used to be really into bodybuilding nick like when i was like okay 17 through 22 like i was always in the weight room and probably overtraining. Because back then, the internet really wasn't what it is today, and neither was science of exercise. Even though I went to school for like exercise physiology, it was still pretty new. 
like I remember there was not a whole bunch that we knew. Most of my professors weren't like really into it. And until like YouTube um, and just people, you know, meatheads that actually went and got degrees and then kind of figured things out on their own. The science wasn't what it is today. Um, I had good professors though. Like I don't want to like insult them, uh, but you know, the, I, so I, I recently just started eating more protein, like, and then eating more carbs as well, but it's, I still try to stay below, you know, it, my calories still stay between like 1500 and 2000, which I think having a caloric deficit is still the answer, even though people want to pretend like, well, no, it's the leptin and potatoes and tomatoes. And because of the leptin, it's going to make you fat. It doesn't, no, a caloric deficit isn't, isn't, isn't the end all be all. And it's just like, that's just, it's just not true. So anyways, I didn't mean to jump all over you after asking a question, Nick, even though I just <laughs> no, did. Good. Now, I think, you know, from my perspective, like I've, I've listened and watched these things, thought it was interesting. I've tried intermittent fasting and trying to be fat, um, kind of base but that that's been hard for me to avoid carbs at all um and um it just uh i i weigh like i guess i'm 130 pounds but almost says a 125 i weighed 125 pounds from the time i was like 14 to 21 and i finally have been gaining weight in the last couple years slowly um so i'm at like 130 something now and so i i've just decided because i think the reason why i stayed so small is because I avoided food at first. I had some issues of just like didn't want to eat and I had to kind of work through those food uh, psychological issues. That's why I got into farming is because I wanted to have clean food and so I tried to avoid what I didn't think was clean food and I ended up going on a pretty heavy calorie deficit probably. Um, yeah, most likely. And, I was, and it definitely had some, uh, especially now as I look back, I definitely was not um, as healthy as I am now. Um, and, and so what changed for me is I just decided, you know, I probably shouldn't follow these people's advice that are trying to lose weight if I'm trying to gain weight. So I started rethinking about it and, and kind of trying to break it back down to like what what's this, the most simple explanation for things. And, and kind of what I have found is at least what it seems to be is that most of the science is anti-sugar. They're just like don't think you should consume an excess of sugar. And that just is refined sugar. I don't think there's really anything in relation to – um, the, uh, the, you know, the chemical formulation of that from the studies I've seen, but, um, it's like refined carbs are, uh, typically lead to different health issues, especially in your cardiovascular system. So anyway, that's just like one thing I know from just like reading random stuff, but I turned, I, I stumbled upon this guy. I think my buddy August turned me on to him, um, named Matt Blackburn. And he is a guy that he has on his podcast is Mito Life. If you're interested, M-I-T-O. L I F E radio, I think is what it is. But, uh, if you look up Mito, you'll find it. And, um, the guy's interesting, but he's just like a, a real iconoclast in this, in this, uh, nutrition world. And he's super pro sugar and it's him and Adam Bergstrom, these guys, this guy looks like a, a proboscis monkey <laughs> to me. <laughs> so I, so I show him off every once in a while. I'm like, this is this guy. And, uh, he believes that you should eat sugar, that you should be drinking orange juice at night and, uh, and you should be eating sugar a lot. And, and so here's the, the one thing that makes sense to me about that is that glucose is the primary fuel of the cell. Yeah. And so why, why would, you know, putting that in you be that bad? And I get like, if it's refined, it's like putting gasoline or something in. Um, I mean, but, if you're a diabetic, you should definitely not do this. I think it's, oh, yeah. it's just the, the, the issue I'm really having is, um, 
So everybody wants to eat like they're a diet, but I mean, it makes sense because their obesity really is a problem and there probably really are a lot of people that are what they would call pre-diabetic, but it's just basically, hey, you're obese and you eat like shit. So chances are you're going to get type two diabetes. And yeah. like, I was talking to Dowie about it and Dowie, uh, he, he's like, he found out late in life that like, well, not late in life, but he's like 10 years older than me. And he found out, like, he ate paleo and he lost a ton of weight. And then he found out that, like, oh, I'm actually type 1 diabetes. So, like, he he can't wow. eat certain food. Like, he has to eat fat. And he was saying, like, oh, I can't, I can't lose weight. And he's like, dude, some people think it's disgusting. But I honestly just love some peanut butter and butter. <laughs> and it's just because, like, he's diabetic. So, like, a lot of proteins are going to turn into uh, sugar for him. Or sugar is going to, so he needs to eat a half a high fat diet. And I was just like, well, Dowie, I mean, maybe instead of eating a full stick of butter, you just eat half a stick of butter, because you're still the name of the game is still having a caloric deficit if you're trying to like reduce your weight. And then when I look at you, it's just like, I mean, I've, I mean, I've cooked food with you, I've hung out with you, and you know, yeah, you don't like, I can just, I have a problem. To where when I start to eat, I mean, I just eat so fucking fast. And people are like, how do you even enjoy your food? I'm like, well, I mean, it's bliss for like the <laughs> two minutes that I'm eating it. And it is really good. But it's just like it really is a, like a drug to me in the way I eat it and consume it. And I think a lot of it has to do with growing up with two older brothers and a dad who grew up with five brothers. And so they would constantly just put down food. You know what I mean? Like it was like, well, if you don't, if you don't, if you don't eat fast enough. Uh, you're not going to eat. So, and I, and then I also think too, um, working at corporate America to where, you know, on commission where I was required to take a half hour lunch break and then they changed it to a half hour. So they would let you get like, I mean, overtime wasn't a big deal when I was working at Verizon. So I was young and I was trying to, so I, I take like a half hour lunch break and pound my food real quick and then, you know, go back to work. And and so yeah. and I think a lot of that lifestyle is for Americans is that so they have issues because they they really you know eating food should kind of be a ritual for you it should be something that you enjoy doing um, so but I think for you it's it's like you know you should be eating you know yak awesome. and potatoes you should be eating yeah, a lot of yeah, potatoes yeah. and the yeah. weird thing is like how people like the carbophobes are so afraid of potatoes and it's like man like. Potatoes are a way is like one of the be- it's it's a way better source of potassium than bananas, and it also has, if you are afraid of carbs, it has way less sugar. So I think, but I think you know, cutting out foods that are grown in the earth, um, and just thinking, oh, these are bad. I mean, I get not wanting to eat soy. Um, I, yeah, if you're switching your potatoes for for Cliff bars. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) That's what that's what upsets me. It's like yeah, like the amount of processor Quest bars. I mean, like my friends, our friends eat Quest bars, so I'm not trying to shit on them, and I'll I'll eat some. I am. Yeah, you are. (laughs) Yeah, you have no issue with it, but I I I mean, but for me, I'd rather you know make some food that I think is delicious. Like okay, like you you like the Quest because they put like protein powder, but why don't you just make your own shit like. I've been making, like, I found this dude, Greg Doucette, and he'll make, like, protein ice cream. And, like, so I, I don't want to make shakes because it's, like, I don't want to necessarily get liquid calories because I'm trying to lose weight. 
Um, so, cause I have those goals, like I'd rather eat food. So I'll make like some protein ice cream, which is just like a cup of frozen berries. I use a scoop of protein and then I get like that PB fit stuff, which is like the powdered peanut butter. And then it's heavy on protein and it's satiating for me. Uh, but at the same time, you know, like it's, it's like, it's kind of a treat, like it's cold. It has, it's kind of tart. Um, and so it's like, it's hitting off some psychological reward things or even like I've been making like a bunch of protein pizzas. So I'll take like just some corn tortilla or regular court tortillas and I'll get, sometimes I use uh, like real cheese. Um, but again, like I'm trying to cut down on calories. I have nothing against fat. I would just rather get my fat from real pepperonis or from meat. Like I like meat and fats versus meat and cheese. Um, but I'll still eat some cheese and I'm not trying to avoid fats, but it's mainly, okay, what can I eat more of and have less calories? And I think that's kind of been my focus of, of what to do. And it's, and it's, so it's like, okay, yeah, microgreens are low calories. I still don't, I don't eat egg whites. I like to eat whole eggs. Like I like to get my fat from like, you know, eggs or, uh, meat, you know what I mean? So, but I think it's just choosing having flexibility in your diet. So you still have a positive relationship with food. And I think yeah. the biggest thing I see with carbophobes are, and you know, maybe some people just have a weird relationship with food, but it's not that different than from, you know, why we actually, I like, I think you and I both got into farming because we wanted to have a better relationship with food. I mean, we also like the resilience and independence of it, but I think when it came to it for me, you know, I was in whole 30, I was doing whole 30, I was doing like an elimination diet and I just ate whole foods. Um, but then it was, okay, all my jalapenos are from Mexico. I love jalapenos. All this is, I don't even know where this comes from. I don't know where that comes from. And then it's like, you know, the food's going to be better for me if I know where it comes from and I have a better relationship with it. And maybe that's where you were coming from as well. Yeah, totally. I, yeah, I think at first it was totally the political thing, but as I got into it and kind of realized like, I got to do this for me, like I found those reasons and the real reason that it stuck with me has been like, I want to know where my food comes from. Yeah. And I really think like this, I think almost all health related or diet related issues for people is psychological. Like it's all neurosis, even for me. Like, like I think there are definitely chemicals that may be in potato skins or whatever and, and different things that are maybe um i think for certain people beneficial maybe have some inflammatory effect oh yeah yeah and certain people too that's that's important to recognize too right that we all have our own body but um i at least from from my perspective of looking at things like i think that the stressing yourself out about what you eat is probably worse than than whatever you eat. have a specific allergy um or you know a specific issue with something and I think most people just don't um, have specific issues like they think they do. Um, I think do some things do cause inflammatory, but it's likely more of a compounding effect than like a specific thing is gonna is gonna get you. It's like you can eat potatoes and be just fine as long as you don't have extra inflammation. But if you have extra inflammation, then these these different little things are gonna set you off. And the same thing in processed food too, probably. Yeah, right? it's like sometimes I can eat McDonald's and feel totally fine, and then sometimes I eat it and I feel like absolutely absolute garbage shit. Like I just don't even want to. I don't even want to live anymore. I'm like, why did I? Why did I consume a shitty burger? And um, I think honestly, honestly, I really think that some of it has to do with my neurosis about food, which is like I want to have 
perfect food. So I try to grow, <laughs> grow my own. And so that's like, I, I don't want to judge people for having that, um, those psychological reasons for doing what they do. Cause I think that's why we do almost anything. Right. But, um, I do think it's important to recognize that a lot of it is like this kind of psychosomatic, um, process and it's like do what works for you and the best thing you can do is like works for your body without um taking this extra input from people who like to give advice and some of the science is is good to listen to right it's good to educate yourself yeah but i think at some point the um i i guess what my issue is that i don't think the trivium is being used very well like the grammar uh, research done on like these different chemicals and what they do on the body like the stuff in potatoes it's like yeah. the, the reason why they know that that's harmful or inflammatory is probably because of studies they've done on smaller animals or on biology and and, and tea tree cell or uh, petri cells or something. Well, you know, mo most of stuff done on a, a human trial basis. Yeah, and be, and that's mainly because he, like this guy uh, BioLane, he's pretty good. So I've been going deep into like I don't know the meatheads that are actually scientists versus bro science. You know, like I like I like I've been watching a lot of like more plates, more dates. I don't know what his education background is, but the guy owns a health clinic. And I think his whole thing was, is he like, he'll tell you like how to prevent hair loss and stuff. Because back in the day when he was younger, he started getting on gear, started losing his hair. And he was like, oh shit, I got to do something. And then he, through blood work, found out he had all these, these issues. So he, he is on TRT and he's pretty open about it. And he has like a whole clinic and he's like, we're not just trying to put you through this uh, TRT mill, which a lot of these things are, where they're just trying to get you on uh, hormone replacement therapy. Um, you know, he's, he's always about, it's always about context. Like they have good doctors. They have, he has his own supplement line. Like, mm -hmm. and he will criticize like, yo, most of these supplements that you get, they put like beta alanine in it, which is, I don't know if you've ever done a pre-workout, but it's the shit that makes your skin itch. So you actually think, so they, they, they put a bunch of ah, fucking caffeine yeah. <laughs> in it and it gives you the butthole itch, but it's like L-citrulline is way better. And then you'll see citrulline malate and he breaks down like different things. Why this is less efficacious, goes through the studies and he tries to be as entertaining and hit people with science and research, research as possible. And uh, BioLane is, is really similar. The guy is like a PhD. Uh, I think he's got a, a master's in biochemistry or a, a uh, or bachelor's in biochemistry, then he got a master's in something else, then a PhD in uh, nutrition, which was, I guess, specifically like his doctorate was on protein and its effects on humans. But he, he, he even said like he, in multiple things that, you know, the reason why we don't have clinical trials like with a ton of humans is it's too expensive. If, if you're doing it with rats, um, you can actually control it and it's, it's way it's it's way easier. I mean, but at the same time, like you know, the lifespan when you do like a eleven month experiment on rats. I mean, eleven months in a rat's life is way different than in a human's life. Um, so, but the, I mean, like and personally, like I was going to school for exercise physiology slash biology pre med, and I I stopped because we were we were doing studies with myostatin, and I did like an independent study, and I was kind of getting groomed to become like a graduate assistant um and then i don't know the grad i was working with like she kept fucking up and she had to kill these mice or rats and the way she had to do it was old school because oh, no. this is in the early 2000s so they like break its <laughs> neck and she kept fucking up trying to break its neck and i was just like dude i can't 
I can't do that. Like, I'm not, I don't want to be a part of this. Like, I understand. And it's yeah, kind of the true. ugly side of science that people don't necessarily know. I mean, like, when you're done, like, the way they study, like, hypertrophy and stuff like that in rodents is they usually cut out their calf muscles. So they have to kill them, cut out their calf muscles. And then they'll, they see the difference in trials and stuff like that. So, I mean, um, yeah, I mean, it's kind of the ugly side of science, but uh, BioLane's good because he'll break down the studies too. Like most people don't even understand how to read scientific studies. Like I, I can read them a decent amount. I wrote a lot of research papers and I had a lot of guidance from PhDs, but like one PhD isn't going to see, or even like, let's say you have a master's degree, like that is kind of the, the benefit of like science and higher education. Like I'll play a clip here why you know, I'm not necessarily pro educate. I mean, I'm pro education, but like pro schooling, as we all know. Um, but there really is like a, a stark difference in uh, looking. Like you have to dig into the methods. Like Andrew Huberman talks about this too. He's another good guy that uh, uh, Alex Bell introduced me to, and now he's like on like he's been on Rogan since, and he's been on uh, more place more dates. Just interviewed the guy, but they they get into like nitty gritties of science and like the effects on the body. But I think, you know, the thing that not all humans are created the same. I mean, we all, we don't, some people really do have food sensitivities and other people don't. But I think a lot of it is bullshit. Like, I remember I sent a hair sample in and they were like, oh, you have sensitivity to avocados. And it's like, I can eat a fuckload of avocados and feel fine. Um, And then I think the biggest sensitivity, though, like what you were saying is sometimes you feel like shit when you eat certain foods. I think it has more to do with how many calories you've been eating. Like for me, if, if I'm at a, if I've eaten a fuck ton of food and let's say I eat some edibles or something like that and then I get the munchies and then I just put away food, I mean, my back will start to hurt. I mean, like I remember it was my buddy's 40th mm-hmm. and I, I ate just an ungodly amount of super strong edibles and like I, I greened out, uh, do you know what greening out is? <laughs> eat bath salad. Yeah. All right, so yeah, so greening out is when you consume so much cannabis that you start to turn like white and like you'll start to get the shakes and like you just <laughs> got to go lay on the couch. So like to recover from my green out, I probably ate I ate about 4500 calories in like within an hour. And it then it became like a game to myself like how much food can I eat cuz food tasted so good. Um and then my back started to hurt, and I put on like 15 pounds in a, overnight, and a lot of it was water weight, but I ate like 10 plates of potato salad. I mean, it was like, it was delicious. I mean, I enjoyed every second of it. But yeah, I mean, I'm pretty sure the, the wheat from the pizza, that the amount of, high amount of pizza I ate, and maybe the leptin in the potatoes from all the potato salad probably started to make me <laughs> not feel so good and make it way harder for my stomach to digest when I have all that food in my stomach. So anyways, I yeah, totally. So I, I think that's like context is everything. And it's just like with farming, it's just like, you know, you went up to when you were at Midwest Peace and Liberty, um, you were talking about, you know, I, I could do this, just the issues you were having. And then, of course, my go to is, well, why don't you put birds in? Have you have you tried the Salatin model? Uh, have you tried the Alan Savory model? Have you mm-hmm. tried this? And it's like, well. You know, context is everything. Like, all that stuff sounds really good, which was something Greg Burns was really... It was nice for when you got to meet Greg Burns and talk about. So I guess I'll shut up and let you shed some light on Mm. context and give some examples. (laughs) Yeah. 
Sure. I mean, I, I think you're totally right. Like a lot of things have to break down to the variables that are at play in that moment, unique to that situation, right? So we can we can come up with theory and explain things from a distance, but until you're like in the moment dealing with what's actually there, it doesn't matter. So you can you can talk about uh, this is how you set up uh, uh, an orchard, a permaculture orchard, orchard digging dolls on contour, and um, and it can you can do all that, but it doesn't really matter if your soil is shit or or if you have too much deer pressure is like what it's what great a big problem with right is that um, there are these other things that you don't necessarily account for the wild deer the um. The, the lack of soil nutrition or whatever in this specific area or that, you know, your, your grandfather dumped a bunch of diesel here cause he broke down a tractor. And, um, there's just a lot of different things that can go into a situation that are going to be unique to that. Um, because you're some world, right. There's just never going to be a perfectly replicated situation. Yeah. So that is the science of nature, right? Like, so that, I think from that just purely logical, I think we got a little delay there. I think, yeah, it's it's kind of the science of nature, right? Yeah. Like nothing is like nature is not a controlled environment. It's never going to be a controlled environment. That's what it makes it as nature. And so, like, through the scientific method, you can get a peek into how something should work. Or let's say just the context, like that's what uh Dowie and I talk about on our podcast with microgreens. Like, we'll be growing something and we'll be using a method. And we will get great results for six months. And then nothing will change. We're using the same soil source, the same seed source, all the same water source, in our pit, same light source. For us, in our heads, nothing changes. But, I mean, we don't know if it's a different batch of seed. And now this new seed, something happened. Actually, the old seed source for our seed source. So now this seed likes something different. Or even though the soil that I get is organic and it's... Yeah made from the same guy i mean let's say he's got a shortage in ingredients so now he turns up some other ingredient now the soil is still fertile and everything else but now it doesn't necessarily work as well or even let's just say it's, it's a more humid summer like even if you got a dehumidifier maybe you can't beat the humidity pressure that's still going on in your grow room or or anything like i know like this year like i was i was telling you like I'm going to tear down the fucking greenhouse just because it's number one, it's going to cost me a lot of money to do, but it's, it creates more work. I'd rather just have a dialed in grow room that we can use year round to make, make it consistent. But like I lost so many crops this summer because of uh, just, it was a hundred percent humidity for a super long time this summer in yeah. Ohio. So it, like you, you can't really water stuff as much. Like it's, yeah. it's different. And, it, and it's even, even like uh bent McKibben, my buddy, he was an urban farmer for a while in Colorado, but his issues are different. Like, well, if it's hot outside for me, I just water it more. And then it's going to, the humidity is going to kind of keep the, the water down. But when you're at low humidity and high altitude, now you have to worry about evaporation. I don't have to worry about evaporation. Yeah. 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 So these contexts really, really matter. And I think that, I, I think that, a lot of people like to give advice and that's why we tend to have um, arguments and disagreements is because somebody has a theory that's based off of some sound science perhaps like but inevitably is 
variables have been limited and have not been totally accounted for in an analysis because it's impossible. So inevitably, you're going to have to have that practice of like learning how to work with the situation you have. And that's why I think that the you, you have to have experience for that, right? You can't just go to school and learn theory. You have to practice and practice and practice. And eventually you can figure out these things and learn, okay, well, things are evaporating. And maybe there's some science about like, you know, the humidity and evaporation that you can learn, right? But you're probably going to have to piece that together and um, figure it out yourself. Of how does that work and on your farm? And this is the case for everything and everyone, right? I think the people that are successful are not the ones that necessarily understand a lot of theory. It's that they can apply it. Um, and if and they don't necessarily, you don't necessarily need to have that uh, education and in, in the um, and the knowledge work if if you're uh, if you have a lot of practice and if you have especially if you have somebody that has the practice before you to be able to show you. I think those are the, those are the people you see who are the most successful at what they do are people who got into like an apprenticeship or something, got into this thing young and, and learned all about it. Um, that's, that's how you, that's how you get good at something, not necessarily just going to school and, and, you know, pouring your mind over with, with knowledge and texts. Um, and I've done that and I've done a lot of that and it is helpful to learn about specific farming things like specific methods of like, what are you supposed to do in this situation? Yeah, um, it's like, but you uh, got to keep your mind open and realize that you're you're the one that's responsible for this, and you're the probably you're the only one that's really monitoring monitoring this, um, and so you have to be on the ball to be watching when when does this fall out of my knowledge, you know? When do I yeah. when do I know when do I sorry I don't know how to say that, but when do I know that I don't know how to do this? Yeah, yeah, that's the old it's the old saying like you don't know what you don't know. Um, yeah, I, I mean, and, and, and I think in the, it's good to have experts, but you got to remember that appealing to authority is still a logical fallacy. I mean, just like what you're saying using the trivium, like, for example, uh, we can all agree that Paul Stamens knows a lot about mushrooms. Uh, he's a, I mean, he's definitely an expert. You could call him an expert when it comes to mushrooms. But does that mean that you should only use Paul Stamens methods? or methods from Paul Stamen's books that are 20 years old? And the answer is no. Paul Stamen's is also a businessman. Paul Stamen's is trying to sell you stuff. Paul Stamen's, look, people, like, look, I, I agree, he's done great for the mushroom culture, but he's still in the business of making money. Like, and, and I think that's, that's the whole thing you need to, to understand. So, you know, if, if you know a local person that can grow mushrooms, why wouldn't you go and it's it's just like for me like okay so i got i got curtis stone's course for urban farming right it was great it was a great starting point i'm not complaining about the money i spent on it i got something out of it but i learned a hell of a lot more from joseph swain joseph swain is my local mentor joseph swain makes makes a lot more money in urban farming than curtis stone ever did he doesn't sell any courses about it. He doesn't do that. And honestly, he kind of looks at it as trade information. Like the fact that he even wanted to help me says something about my character and the way that I approached him. And I think like you can learn. A, you, do you feel where I'm coming from? Like you can learn a lot more from, oh, from the context yeah. locally of local farms. Like it was nice for you to come out, see how I run my business 
And then I could take you to my friends that do homesteading and, and, and do similar permaculture stuff. And so they could talk to you about their experiences in their context. And you can take different things from it, but it's not like you're not going to go back and say, so Sean Brown, so you do this and then you do that. I mean, Oregon's a lot different than Ohio. Like just for example, you just started chanterelle season. Our chanterelle season was over two months ago. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's just context is everything you can yeah, get. It's uh, totally wildly different. Yeah, yeah, but you can still learn. <laughs> like, that's the like, I think it's, but it, you, you can learn because it's, you know, the grammar, the logic, and the rhetoric. Putting things through that system, putting things through a, a system for yourself, because you have to kind of be your own scientist in the way you interact with the world. Like, that's like the funny thing. Like, um, it's not, uh, like, look, I, I, I can't say, you know, listen, I, I can't say what works for me is going to work for everybody. But what works for me is what's most important to me. And that's how it should be for everybody. Does that make sense? Yeah. And, and the way I try to look at it is I've, I've done a lot of research. I've read some Joel Salton books. I've read Alan Savory's work on holistic pasture management. And um, great stuff. I mean, it's awesome. This is, I think a lot of that stuff is revolutionary, like Dirt to Soil by uh, Gabe Brown. Excellent book. I think these things should be, uh, this, these methods should be talked about and, and explained as they are. Uh, but you do have to have that context too. So I, I, know, I know how Joel Salton and Greg Judy manage their pastures. I've watched their videos and um, yeah, I've researched that. And what I, I take that and uh, compare it to my local farmers who, you know, none of them are really up on that pasture management. But what it taught me is that this isn't as important as, as these guys make it out to be. I can cut some corners using the conventional methods and um, and still get a good product. And what I mean by that is like I cut, you know, some, a lot of these guys don't believe in cutting hay if they live in a certain uh, um, environment. I know Greg Judy cuts hay. I know I'm pretty sure Salton does too. I think they're pretty way, but uh, oh. Yeah, so context really matters about where specifically you are because you can learn all the theory. You can learn about Joel Salatin's specific methods, and then until you apply it, um, you don't really realize what what it takes. Next, I have tried to implement all these different kinds of um, routines, and the, and the main problem I run into is that yaks uh, can jump a lot higher than cattle do, or at least more willing to. So I can't just get away with a single or even a double electric strand fence i have to build them taller so that's taken a lot longer for me to be able to build these fencing to be able to rotate more and i slowly do it every year i make a new pasture and then sometimes they break that electric fence so i gotta redo it but i think through trial and error, i have gotten to a system of i use a very high tensile strength uh, wire and two i have four strands on and in each two strands has their own chargers so it's super hot um, it's really, really hot. They don't touch it anymore. So, so far, I've had it. I'm, I'm since this this last year implemented that fencing. It's been working, but you wouldn't know that just from studying these things on YouTube and reading books. Um, maybe you're smart enough and you could analyze and try to out ahead of time and prepare for that of knowing that I'm going to get yaks and they're going to be able to jump high. So I better build tall fences. 
but it's going to take a long time to build those fences and you're not going to want to do that I have a reason to so i had to get the axe i had to get out and then i had to learn that i need better fencing and so i've learned now to build fencing and i would not have done that um if i hadn't uh if i hadn't experienced having yaks jump over uh, my fencing yeah that makes that makes a ton of sense um because nobody <laughs> also too nobody's using these like alan savory doesn't have a yak course joel salton doesn't have a yak course like yaks aren't even like we don't like I, we haven't I, we should have tried to probably go to the yak farm in ohio i think the next time we'll try to do that like i'll try to get a connection but i mean we even speculated just based on the humidity if yaks would even like like how they would That's even good. do in ohio right Yeah, I think it would be hard for the. I don't. I don't know. There's people who do it in Texas, and I've heard somebody in Florida, which I thought was pretty shitty. Um, but but you know, I don't know. I don't know. It seems like it would be too humid for them, though. Yeah, but I mean, I'm sure you could figure out a way to make it work, but it's just going to cost money. Um, and that's the thing too. When you're a small scale farmer, or you're starting out, I mean, we don't get government subsidies. Like we don't get. Uh, we're not paid to not grow corn or to not grow soy or to not do this stuff. Um, and, and so it's, it's, it's a lot different. And I don't, I don't know if the big cattle people get, uh, do they get subsidies? Do you know? I think so. Um, I, I, I'm pretty sure they do. I just don't know in what form they come in. It, it Maybe just that they get cheap corn. <laughs> <laughs> and stuff and that's how they do it but i i don't know if there's a direct beef um uh whatever you call that a bailout or, or yeah yes yeah, corporate welfare yeah yeah um i still think you, you could do the rcs stuff i mean it would be good for you to do that i should probably link you with uh my buddy rob kaiser because rob kaiser he actually he did it and then he went on uh jack spearco's show and talked about how he got it because he had this big high tunnel built and he got an RCS agent. And actually, Zach, I think, got uh, my where the beef is. He got uh, some RCS shit uh, or money shit. He got some RCS shit. I'm glad I just cuss like so children can never listen to my show. Uh, he got some RCS stuff. And Alex, yeah. Tim, and I and another guy went up there and helped him build the fence. I mean, we went through. We built uh, fencing because he's got a lot of acreage. And, you know, but he's he can't. I mean, it. it he quit his job to farm. I mean, he can't do an exact Salton system. I mean, he's adding birds and he's adding, you know, but it's, you know, it looks cool when you have the egg mobile and you looks, it looks cool about that. But you know, how long did it take Salton to do that? And also I think I'm pretty sure his dad had already started on a lot of these methods. And now they're on, you know, the third generation, which is Daniel who's running the farm. So, I mean, like for somebody starting out, like to think that you could be in the same level as somebody that's like, that's on their third generation of family running plots of land. Um, it, it's not a comparison. I mean, they're already established and you can throw a lot of money into farming, especially when you don't even know if it's something you want to do. My good buddy, uh, Luke, um, he's my good buddy. And I can't even remember his freaking name. Jesus. Callahan. No, not Luke Callahan. It's a, it's a farmer oh. in Kentucky. Um, he's been on a permaculture voices. Cool. Uh, I keep wanting to say Luke gross, but that's a, that's a, an actor. 
But my good buddy Luke, he's a he's a farmer. He does like pastured pol- uh he does poultry, pork. I think he does some beef now too. Um What's his name? I'll edit it out while I'm looking it up. Luke Gross. Yeah, it's Luke Gross. So my good buddy Luke Gross, I was thinking Luke Goss is the, Luke Goss is a shitty actor, but Luke Gross said when I'm on my show, he said that like you don't stay in farming for the same reasons why you start. And if you want to stay in farming, you really have to have no exit strategy. Like, I don't have an exit strategy. I mean, I could sell my house and I could just quit, but it's just like, I don't know. It makes more sense for me to just keep making money with the farm. Like, the amount of money I can make in a year is still, it's pretty close to what I could sell that house for. Um, So, well, if things are humming, like once I get Tim really dialed in, which he's almost there. I mean, people are already preferring his cilantro and other crops. Uh, versus what Rich was producing. And it's been less than a year. So I think, you know, he, he's doing his own thing, but he's, you know, he's, we're, we're, there's going to be trials and tribulations. He's a young man. He's a young father, you know, like it's, you know, you got to, if you're working with people, you have to give them room to develop. And I think like when you have a business and you want to mm-hmm. bring people on to help you, like my business is, it is about, it is, it is about my business and it is about making money, but it is also about helping people and developing people. So, and it starts with me. My business has helped develop me. It's helping develop Tim. Your business, how much has your business helped develop you? Oh, so much, right? I'm a totally different person than I was seven years ago. How much of your, has your idealism kind of been uh, beaten into realism? <laughs> <laughs> it's quite a bit it's definitely the, the reason i got into farming was idealistic i thought i wanted to be free and i thought i could pursue raising yaks and have enough time to be a philosopher and, and figure out the world and politics and whatever and yeah pretty quickly i realized this is not realistic i can't i can't do this podcast and be really good at what i'm doing and um, yeah, I learned through making those mistakes. I, I put too much time into other things, and I lost animals, and, and I had a hard time. And and now, over the last three years, since I was, I think, basically since I was 20, um, I think I, maybe before then too, but I think there's at some point I really realized, like, I am, that, that this isn't going to, this isn't going to play out as a fairy tale. You know, this is not my, uh, gold retirement plan you know this is not that great of an idea if i want to be comfortable and i decided i didn't want to be comfortable then so that's that's really the thing is that i don't have an exit strategy i know that i could go do something else if i wanted to but like selling off all 26 of these yaks would be really hard to do um and uh and it would take me uh, probably take me a year to even the rest of these herd out here if i didn't want them anymore um and yeah, I don't know. It's just I've I've decided that maybe there's a little bit of idealism there too, that I'm I'm still trying things based on my principles, right? I'm still trying to act in an ethical way and get to my my long term goals, which you know some of them are unrealistic about what I want to do with this property. Um, but yeah, as time goes on, as I realize that these things take work, the ideas that I have. Um, get more complicated and I abandon them sometimes because they're so complicated and I know that this is going to be too much work. So like I've got a lot of ideas of mushrooms and I'm just not going to do it for the time being because I don't have the time or energy to, um, 
to limit all the variables that would make it successful. Like I can do with the yaks. And because the yaks make so much money for me, I've even like stopped doing so much with the hogs. Um, and these are the things you learn. Like I wanted to have a very diverse system. I wanted to have chickens out on pasture at some point. And um, we've tried it and we lost a bunch of predators. It's just things happen like that. And it's not, it's, it's disappointing when those things happen. So now I, I built maybe some trauma from that, but um, I think it isn't, it's not something that I, these aren't things I avoid thinking about. So I don't think it's traumatic. I just think that it's, uh, it was learning lessons and I remember them because they had some pain to them, but also because um, I found some solutions to it too. And I was, and the main thing is like, don't try to, don't try to do too much. Um, you are limited to a certain amount of energy a day, and you should really focus on on the things that do well. Focus on the eighty um, twenty principle, like you said. Yeah, totally, eighty twenty principle for sure. Like yaks are twenty percent of my work, eighty percent of the profit, and pigs are eighty percent of the work, twenty percent of the profit. So what what gets cut there? The pigs, obviously. Um, and so, yeah, you learn things like that, and it takes time, and and you have to uh, you have to have some pain. But you're right, dude. The the idealism, th these ideas you get about how I'm going to feed the world and do all this cool stuff. Um, it when it comes down to putting numbers on paper, uh, those you can start finding out where these things will work or won't won't work. Um, but I think that it really does take some practice to learn, like this is how much energy you can put into something before you get burnt out. Yeah. Uh, that's an important thing to realize. Uh, Cause I've burnt myself out so many times that I've like, I've almost quit a couple times. Like not, not really, I wasn't going to do it, uh, but I thought about it. I really thought about it. Um, and I just decided that this lifestyle is what I want. Um, and I pre and like everything else that comes out of it uh, is rewarding enough for me. And these ideas that I had about, the farm were kind of ego driven. Like, it's just like I had something I wanted. So I'm like, I'm going to go do that. And now it's more of like, I have, I have an opportunity. I have these animals, which will be turned into food. So I have an opportunity to provide people food. And I want to do a really good job at that. So I focus on doing a really good job raising those yaks now. Um, so that it's a, just a quality product and I can feel really good about selling that at a premium price because it's worth it. Yeah. No, I think that's important, man. The, the important thing is, um, so there's a couple of things when I was hearing you talk about putting numbers on paper, like, you know, I think people, uh, most people's biggest struggles is understanding that idealism is different than realism. Like nothing is ever going to be ideal. Like, ideally, yes, I agree. We wouldn't need money. We wouldn't need to do these things. We wouldn't need to, uh, we wouldn't need to, we could just have this infinite supply of, of good quality food, but it takes a lot of work. And the motivation, the motivation of work, the only thing that seems to motivate humans is, is, is ha making sure people are compensated with money. Um, as certain people aren't motivated by money, so they say, but then they still spend money on stupid shit. So it's just, it's not, it's not real. Like if you look at how materialistic <laughs> most socialists are, it's not real. Like it's, it's just, the biggest issue is, is that they don't like seeing suffering in the world, but who the fuck does? I don't, but that's kind of like, isn't that like the biggest thing that 
Buddha and Stoics talk about is how life is really suffering. And, but it's, it's really the suffering that you need to embrace so you can actually better yourself. And suffering is really a good way to learn things. I'm not saying you should be a masochist, but certain people really like being a masochist too. Isn't that <laughs> why they're kink, right? Aren't we supposed to be not judgmental of the kinks? <laughs> so I think that's, that's like the context is, you know, context really is everything. Like in an ideal thing, you know, I would, uh, all my microgreens, like I wasn't going to waste plastic. I wasn't going to do this. I wasn't going to do that. But, you know, unfortunately, we could get some biodegradable plastic. I mean, a guy does say, this guy told me that the biodegradable plastic actually works. And it, it was on the, the show I did with Dowie and he throws it in his own compost bin to, t to test and it actually broke down. So, yeah, I mean, we can use biodegradable plastics. I think I do use biodegradable plastic, even though, like, you know, previous uh, employees would freak out about plastic all the time. But, you know, unfortunately, there's not non-plastic solutions that can store food as well, um, especially when it comes to greens um, and keeping them fresh. I mean, my greens will stay fresh for like a month sealed in a plastic container because I know how to cut them and I know how to prep them and I know how to, how to put them in the cooler so they last long. And I think a lot of people don't, um, you know, there's certain things you can do to make food better and to make it last longer. And, but, you know, your food should die. I mean, just like Joel Salton <laughs> said, I mean, it's going to die. You know, that's, it's good to know that you're eating food that's dying. Um, you know, and you want to eat it when it's most alive. But life eats life. You know, it is, a, it is tragic. But look at nature, man. If you ever see a chicken go after a mouse, it is a horrifying sight. I mean, chickens are fucking dinosaurs, man. Like, they are brutal. They brutally murder snakes and mice and anything they eat. Look at what a cat does. A cat plays with something until it's dead. But at the same time, we love cats, don't we? Like, don't... I mean, they're the best for memes on the internet. We're not saying kill all cats, because that would be inhumane. Um, so I think the idea is, you know, there's ugly sides of the world. There's ugly sides of nature, but that doesn't necessarily make them all bad or evil. Things aren't necessarily always binary. There's a lot of nuances to the world, and context really is everything, Nick. I think that's a good title for this show is Context is Everything. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I like that. I think that is kind of the, the larger message that I like to share with people right now because I, I feel like my, what I have in terms of knowledge on farming – I have, I have some experience. I have a lot of trial and error stuff, but I really don't have something specific to lay out and be like, hey, here's a good method. Like the best thing I can do is point you to those guys. I, like my the, the golden trio for me is Greg Judy, Alan, uh, oh, why? Alan Savory. Yeah, Savory and then Joel Salatin. Um, I think these guys are all great. Go listen to them. And and I don't want to like- Wendell Berry too. on these guys. Yeah, Wendell Berry's really good too. Because Wendell um, Berry always talks about the context. He's like, you know, as ugly as it is to look at those solar panels over there, they sure do save me a lot of money. They sure do help me become more independent. <laughs> totally. And that's something people do have to realize is that from this idealistic perspective is like, I know a lot of people and, and in fact myself, like, yeah, it'd be kind of cool if we could live in a more communal nature and, and not have to deal with this like capitalist struggle. It'd be cool. But this is where we're at. And kind of mimics nature systems in a lot of ways just the way that it is a little bit cutthroat um can be you know we have we have systems in society to 
to limit some of these these issues that we can have. And I think we can continue to do that. But um, and I think we can continue to make, you know, life more peaceful and more smooth and easier to, to deal with um, as people. I think we're doing that and I think we will continue. But it is important to, to recognize them. We're not shitting on these guys. Like, I don't I don't I think these guys are great. The people that have figured out their systems and are sharing it. That's awesome. But it does have to come with a grain of salt. That is every the context is everything. You know, we really do have to pay attention to what we're doing. And I think like the main thing for me right now is I think about like, like if I'm going to give advice of, to anybody about anything is really that you, if you're going to do something, put care into it, like really care about it. Like don't do something just because you think you ought to, or because somebody told you to like do stuff you really want to do and, and try to slim those things down, narrow it down. Like there's, you know, like this idea that you're missing out on things because you didn't take this opportunity, I think is silly. People have been telling me for the last seven years, like, Nick, you need to go travel and see the world before you get too old. And it's it's true. You know, I got I to gotta go travel and see things. You got plenty of time. Yeah, I got plenty of time. And so I mean, I honestly. I think you got to do it when you're young. And I think that's, you know, that's important to do. And I, and I do need to travel a little bit, but I need to get out of this country and see the world. I think that'd be really cool. But I'm not missing like to me for me to look at that as as if I'm missing out on an experience that other people are having um, and to hold that as if like against my like self-worth or something. It's not valuable. It's no, cool it's to silly. Man. It's cool to see people and, and live vicariously through it. And um, I don't need to to be disappointed in myself for that. And I don't need to resent other people for not making the same decisions as I have. You know, my decisions are valuable because I've learned. And I've made, you know, I've had a lot of experiences that have uh, brought me to a situation where I can, I don't have so much idealism in my way that I can really look for solutions to problems in a very practical sense. And that's, that's the point I'm trying to make is I think we can stick into, uh, we, we can have all these high minded ideals about how the world works, but we are in a system, we are in a society and we are in with people that, uh, that do not all see it the way we do. Yeah, and I think ultimately, like, if, if I really had it the way I wanted it, it would be total chaos and it would be really awful for most individuals. <laughs> yeah, and that's not, and that's not me, what yeah. I want. That's not what I want. I don't want people to, to be in bad situations. People, Not all people are built like us. Not all people think like us. And I think that's a good thing. Like, I, if we were all the same, it'd be so fucking boring. Like, that's that's the worst. And, like, the whole idea of... I don't know. Maybe we'll we'll close on this, man. I don't know if you've seen this. This is, it's it's a play that you want to play. You rage, you lose. It's an old game we used to play on 4chan back back when uh, back when I was in my twenties when I used to go on B before it all became everyone that <laughs> everyone that it, what we used to call we used to call them moral fags. I I might get canceled <laughs> for it, but like because it was. Everyone was a fag on 4chan. Like there was new fags, old fags, moral fags. So, uh, so that's what we used to call them. Like, and that's and they've kind of taken over. And I think the moral, I don't know. So I, I as you know, I, I like to get on Telegram and follow what uh, these Nazis are saying because I think they're all controlled opposition. Um, you know, much like you know Candace Owens and Fox News and shit like that. Like everybody, like two sides of the same coin. They're telling you what you want to hear, so you pay attention. And I don't like to tell people what they want to hear. Like, that's the last thing I want to do. I want to tell you what my experience is and share with you what my truth is. 
um, not to sound too much of a hippie. And I think you do the same thing. I mean, that's why context really is everything. Um, but uh, this is just this is just the state of our school system and how great these teachers are for uh, for our, for our kids. Um, you might have heard this, Nick. Stop. You know, maybe you've heard this. I don't know if the but this is uh, you know, we used to grow up singing songs in school. And we all kind of, oh, yeah, yeah. and it was like for safety things, like, you know, like real threats to children, like getting hit by a duck car. and cover. Duck <laughs> and cover. Yeah, yeah, you know, there's a ball coming, it could hit you in the head. Duck and cover. Well, <laughs> this is what they're sharing in schools now. So it's a good thing that you dropped out when you did. You know, I'm really jealous of people that dropped out of high school, by the way. I don't know why. I would be too, man. We had a lot more freedom than y'all. <laughs> I know, I know. So this is what they're teaching schools now. Two, three. I wear a mask to school. I wear a mask to school. These kids look so miserable. I wear a mask to school. It helps to keep me safe. It helps to keep me... All right, enough of that. I can't handle that anymore. <laughs> so, good, yeah. so you rage, you lose. I lost. I raged. I can't handle it. Yeah. These kids, yeah. these these kids. So, um, and I guess the, the reason why I shared that is like, you have to think for yourself. Like they don't, like powers that most people don't want to think for themselves. I don't want to say it's some grand conspiracy. I mean, if you just look at the shit the U.S. government does, it's it's... It just most governments do. It is there's no you don't need to have conspiracies. They do awful things. They don't. I mean, it's like uh, shout out to Daniel McCarthy. He's going to be on soon, and like he wrote, he just wrote a book about societies that want these utopias, and they just put their people through meat grinders to to get there. And and we're gearing up for that. I mean, we're really gearing up. I mean, it. You know the, you know just to end things and that i want to try to make this positive nick because context is everything you, you know you, you can follow all this shit and get depressed about it and you can complain but at the end of the day what really matters is what you do with your with your same 24 hours a day what are you doing to benefit yourself and help your community and for nick and i it's farming and sharing our experiences and sometimes we like to get on here a podcast and laugh and joke we like to go foraging. We like to go hiking. We just like to find our freedom in an unfree world. And what your freedom is in this unfree world is your context. And context is everything. What do you think, Nick? I totally agree. Um, I'll just give this little anecdote because I think it's cool. Um, this is something that's like this is part of my e idealism that is surviving uh, through my business. I am. Um, I like the idea of being able to provide people food. I, I wish that more food was, uh, you know, better food was more affordable for people. And because my prices are pretty high, not everybody that wants to get yak meat or my quality pork is able to afford it. Um, so sometimes I'm able to run deals, but I do have to make money. So I, you know, I watch my margins and I make sure that I'm, I'm taking care of myself first because that's how I keep being able to do this. But somebody, some neighbor, it just happens every once in a while that, um, Somebody needs to get rid of some animals and they can't take care of them. So they reached out. They said, hey, I've got four big, fat, potbelly pigs and I need to get rid of them. And you can have them for free. And I'm like, well, you know, people offer me free animals sometimes. I'm like, all right, listen, you have to understand that if you're going to give me an animal, I'm going to eat it. 
yeah. especially if it's free. We're butchering this thing. So are you okay with that? And they're like, yes, please take all four. Do whatever you want. We don't care. And I'm like, oh, this is awesome. How so, is a potbelly pig? Like, they're so fat. Like, how? I mean, yeah, is it just stuck. a lard animal, pretty much? Basically just a lard animal, yeah. So do so you just process it yourself? Really, yeah, I will. I, yeah. I, and sometimes I'll have... Uh, a butcher do it but they don't like to deal with lard pigs they're they're meant to most shops are built for cutting up muscles not for <laughs> collecting <laughs> fat so and then they'll do it for me anyway but um i'll be processing these so basically i've got four of these free pigs they are not in great condition haven't had a great diet not my favorite things to have so i thought about well do i take these and sell them and i decided you know what no i'm going to i'm gonna take this opportunity i got these pigs for free i haven't put anything into them and uh just over the next couple weekends, I'm gonna slaughter them out, um, and we're gonna we're gonna make a bunch of hams. Gonna take a bunch of lard, cure some bellies, and, uh, and then I'm just gonna give away the rest of this meat, the ribs and and uh, whatever I can. And so I've got like four or five people on my list right now that are taking this free meat, and uh, and I love that sort of thing. And that's like this is why I I enjoy being least, able to do what I do. At least try to I, make them help you process the meat because that's a lot of fucking oh, yeah. work. Oh yeah, yeah yeah yeah. I'm getting I'm getting help and. Um, and there's a reason why I'm doing it, because I'm getting lard. I'm getting stuff out of it. I'm not just, like, giving away free animals. But I don't need the rest of that meat. I've got too much meat in my freezers. So people are getting lucky. And um, I love to be able to do things like that. Um, but but the only reason I can is because those pigs were free and because I feel like taking my weekend time for butchering animals so that I can get some some ham and, and some bacon myself, or, you know, my own stuff. And... Um, get some practice out of it and have some fun with some friends cutting up pigs, but then also to provide this food. So anyway, I just, I thought I'd throw that out there cause this is a, it's a cool opportunity to be able to do these things. And if I would not have learned to butcher myself, uh, I would not be able to do it. So, you know, take the opportunities to learn skills when you can, cause they do pay off in the future. And now I have and they a give you freedom skill that I've been practicing for years and, uh, and I charge for it sometimes too. So it's, it, this is just practice for me. Yeah. Skills equal freedom. So, um, well, Hey Nick, it was awesome having you on. If people want to reach out to you, are you still planning on rebooting the podcast or are we still, is that oh, still on God. the back burner? It's on the back burner for now. I, I, this is, I, I keep hoping, but, um, I, I just, I gotta just have to be honest at this point and say, I don't know. I have no idea if I'll start it up again. I'll release this. And, um, nice. And people will get it, get, at least get to hear that. Um, but I, yeah, I keep having the intention drew, but, uh, it's hard. It's hard to get that, uh, that time in. And once you get started, once you get started, just like anything, it, then you're yeah. good. Like I, yeah, I, I've this been, is my fourth show this week I did. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. This is, uh, this is probably, I've listened to at least a few that you've released in the last month. So yeah, I've been it's putting cool them to out see there. You pick it up. I yeah. appreciate it. No, man, I appreciate it. Like I, you, you remember, so Nick and I, we were at Midwest Peace and Liberty, and we were like, we're going to restart the show. I think we're going to do it together. Do you want to come on? And everyone's like, yeah, of course we do. Yeah. And then we didn't record anything. We both had our... We just, it, was, it was more fun to just talk to people without it and create kind of community things. Like We created a lot of community things. I, I think that's more fun for us, just to get like come together and have people around the table having a conversation. And I think that's... That's bad. When you get mics involved, people don't want to participate in the conversation, and I think that right. kind of spoils it. 
Yeah, and I think that you know this now is the time to start hitting people up on Skype too and being like, yeah, let's let's record something and put it out there because it's there's it's a lot of people there's a lot of people waking up, Nick. People need to hear what we have to say. Unfortunately, like we found a lot, we totally. people are struggling with what we struggled with years ago, and yeah. and who are we if we didn't have people that we could lean on? I mean, you know. So and first thing I want to say is like I am nobody special. I am a pissing shitting human i mess up constantly i make bad decisions i make good decisions i can be a degenerate drunk so take for what i have to say as a grain of salt so with a grain of salt i mean i I have figured out some things but i am no i am no saint i am not i am i am proud to be a man and a common man i am i am i am embracing my human experience and i think nick's doing the same so don't don't put us on a pedestal I dropped out of high school. Yeah, and I'm jealous of it. <laughs> I dropped out of college after six years, after five years. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, we're not we're not experts, and yeah, I don't think that. Um, and we don't want to be. No, you gotta you gotta build your own context. That's that's the point we're trying to make is that you you have the ability to figure these things out, and we figured out some things on our own and with the help of others. So yeah, get out there, try shit. We're all gonna fail. It's all painful. It's it's life. Hell yeah. Well, with that being said, everybody, thanks for tuning in. Looking forward to bringing you more episodes soon.